0: Welcome to Meet an African Pastor Podcast. My name is Anthony Seitzma, and in this podcast I interview different African pastors so that people around the world can hear about what their lives are like and pray for them. And most importantly, this gives all of us an opportunity to learn from the African Church. Thank you for listening. Welcome again to the podcast. Today I'm with my friend Moses Odell, and he's going to share his testimony about how God has worked in his life and some of the, the key events. Um, so it's good to be with you, Moses. Thank you for being here and, and talking. Mm-hmm. And Moses is from Uganda, but he can share more specifically uh, where he's from. So, yeah, before we get into the, your, your whole background and story, tell us a little bit about who you are today and where you're located
1: um, uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, here with you, Anthony. Um, my name is Moses Odell and um, I come from the eastern part of Uganda in a small town called Soroti and um, I, my village is uh, 19 kilometers uh, southwest of uh, Soroti town. I am the firstborn of six children um and I am and I'm also a son to a former priest, a pastor of the Anglican Church and uh, I'm married to one wife. I have two daughters and um, I'm also a pastor. I was just ordained uh, last year in uh, uh, October in 2022. And uh we passed out uh with another another family it at, at uh northern Uganda in another small town called Gulu, um which is well known for where the LRA uh rebels in the northern region of Uganda uh have had launched an attack on the current government of the President Yoweri Museveni. And um, we pastor a church, a Baptist church, mm-hmm. that is uh, located next to Gulu um, University. A uh, university that uh, is um, uh, about 4,000, 5,000 students uh, large. And um, it's an exciting journey.
0: What's the name of the church?
1: The church is a uh, University Community Church. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So today we decided that it would be interesting to hear Moses' testimony uh, and hear about how God has been working in his life and some of the interesting events, and then maybe in the future we'll do another podcast together on a specific topic. So Moses, I think we can go all the way back and start with your birth, <laughs> and uh, you can take it from there. I'll jump in as you're sharing, but you can, you can go ahead and, and begin your story.
1: Right. Right. I was born on the 3rd of January, I believe that was a Wednesday, um, in 1979 and um, I was born in a hospital called Nora in another town where my father was a priest in the east mm-hmm. in, in, in Tesla region where my district is and um, right after I was born of course being an Anglican uh, family. I was prepared. My parents prepared for my baptism, mm. but just before my baptism, uh, rebels—if you like to call them—or thugs uh, attacked off our, our family, and uh, they, in the, in the dead of the night, they they carried me away, and my name was meant to be Simon Peter. Okay. Uh, Odell Simon Peter after my cousin brother. Um, but when that incident happened on the day of my baptism my my dad told the testimony I was carried by these thugs and they threw me about four kilometers away mm. but the maid was following me uh, our home maid was following me and my dad and mom had run away everyone at home had scattered away because of the gunshots and uh, the looting that was going on and so the maid found me. I was crying at around 3 a.m. in the morning as my mother recalls and um, she took me back home and then I had to to be fed that morning. There was a, uh, a cousin's wife, an elder cousin of mine uh, who was a young man then who was married and uh, had just also had a child and so she nursed me for a few hours before my mother took over to Mm. to to feed me she fed me
0: why do you think they would abduct you only to throw you down
1: i really have no idea i think it was just divine intervention Mm. um, because they intentionally had come to kill my father and but also to loot and uh, but somebody just before they came uh, I think warned my dad and so as my dad began to run away then he had gunshots and they were quite close at home and so on the day of my baptism my father as I say told the testimony of what to- happened to the bishop uh, the Bishop Gershom Ilukor then he is now departed and um, the bishop said now this boy this baby can no longer be named Simon Peter. Mm. This is Moses. Okay. Because his story is exactly mm. mirroring the, the the story of Moses in the Bible. And so then I was um, I was baptized so.
0: You look like a Moses more than
1: <laughs> Simon Peter. <laughs> <laughs> that's because I know you as Moses.
0: Okay, that's an interesting beginning to your life. What yeah. happened after that?
1: Of course, I grew up as a... A young man, I was uh, healthy for m- the most part, but uh, as I grew up, I became sickly, and I- my father brought me to northern Uganda, where I am actually now, okay. as a young man, as a-, a-, a, you know, I think five years or six years old, or, or thereabout, uh, to seek medical attention at uh, a hospital in Gulu called Lacho Hospital. And then, um, at that time, it was operated by Italians Mm. because it's a a Catholic hospital. And then uh, he took me again to another missionary hospital in a place called Kalongo, Mm. also in northern Uganda, but in Lira, not in Gulu. That is south of Gulu. Um, Mm. And then again, he took me to another area where he had served as a missionary priest in northeast of Uganda which is Karamoja sub-region mm. which is predominantly warrior mm. uh, region and uh, I, I was there with him for about about three years uh, as he went around uh, because he had previously worked there so he went around mm-hmm. more like Paul checking on the churches that he, okay. he had served in and um, so I grew up and of course, I went into the the rhythm of the Anglican Church, going into um, confirmation class, as it were, in my P five, uh, primary five. I was confirmed by Bishop from uh, a Bishop from the UK, uh, uh, Jeremy Walsh, okay. and um, we were about. 70, 80 um, students of the confirmation class then. And, um, but I, I did not really have a deep relationship, if you like, with the Lord Jesus Christ. My father had taught me, he had done his best to teach me the Bible. I knew the Bible story from Genesis to Matthew. Um, and the rest of the books, the epistles of, of hmm. uh, you know, the apostles, I, I didn't know much about those. Okay. But the entire Bible story, from Genesis creation to Jesus dying and resurrecting, and the church beginning, I, I knew, I understood the, the story very well, and it it's kind of built a foundation for me um, for later years uh, when I discovered the Lord and I I got born again. Um, I think I, I, brought, I got born again in 1991 in my primary seven uh, after the what we call in Uganda primary living examination, the PLE, okay. where you, you graduate out of the primary school uh, and you get a certificate for that. So as I was waiting for my certificate, I, I felt sick and then I had to go to Kampala. And so while I was in Kampala, that is when the doctors discovered that I had a, a cardiac or a heart disease. Mm. Um, and uh, in the midst of that, in the midst of, uh, of fearing death, and uh, but also seeking God, um, I I met a man from. Uh, a church a local church in uh, uganda deliverance church uganda uh, who happened to be my for lack of a better word my my brother-in-law but he was much older Mm. and he had children he had children he has children who are older than i am so i called him uncle he was Mm. he's called uncle ben and he was one of the the leaders of uh the deliverance church then he was an elder in the church And I was in his home being related to his wife. Um, And so it was in that period, I think it was May uh, 1991, that I gave my life to to Jesus Christ. Um, And and it was such a unique experience for me because I thought I knew God. I thought I knew the Bible, but that was not enough. There was something in my heart. There was a longing, a desire to to connect with God and to understand even my own uh, uh, mortality, mm. my own uh, fragile state as a young man. Um, that I needed God to sort out my 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 issues, my fears, my the downside of life that I was experiencing. And so I got born again at that point. Mm. And I have never looked back since. Mm. But my walk with the Lord did not immediately... I didn't have a spark like most people do. Mm. It was when I joined a boarding school for the first time back in Soroti. There is a school called Teso College, Aloit. Mm-hmm. And so I went into that school as a young boy. Um, and in the school, there was a scripture union and there was a strong, in, 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 in that moment, in that time, in our time then, that was a strong uh, scripture union. And it helped me to, to, to form my spiritual mm-hmm. um, anchors and my faith in the Lord. But it also, as a school, as a boarding school, I was away from home. In those days, there was no mobile phone. There was no, you know, you you would have to be at school for four months uh, or three and a half months, depending on which uh, term or uh, if you like, semester that was. And um, you had to depend on yourself. I had to be independent. And yet sickly at the same time. Um,
0: Same with the heart problem?
1: Yes, the heart problem. Mm. But at least at that time... Uh, we knew that it was a heart problem. Now the dilemma was, there was no heart hospital in Uganda then. Um, many people died of heart disease without even knowing that it was heart disease. It was a time of insurgency. In fact, I studied with rebels. Mm. I remember cleaning guns for um, rebels in, in who were also students in our class. In our school, some of them were in senior three, some of them were in senior. So we shared the dormitories, and
0: there's been a, a number of violent conflicts in Uganda, mm-hmm. and maybe other people outside of Uganda may not understand. So when you say the insurgency, which which conflict are you referring to?
1: Okay, so there was um, in 1986 the current government came in forcefully. They were a rebel outfit, and they dislodged the the, the government of. President uh, Milton Obote in 1986. So when I went to school in 1992, um, in Tesla College, there was, um, in a sense, in my tribe, the Tesla tribe, they are initially predominantly people, uh, a pastoralist group, the Nilo Hamites and uh, they come off from Ethiopia. They, they have uh, so many other connected tribes uh, right along from Ethiopia, south of Ethiopia, up to Eastern Uganda and Western Kenya. And for those of you who are familiar with tribes like the Turkana, uh, the Masai, uh, the, the, the Karmojong, the Dodoth, the Jie, the mm-hmm. and other tribes in, uh, in South Sudan, that's the entire group. And so these are pastoralists. These are shepherds. Mm. These are people who took care of cows, sheep and, and goats and, and chickens and, and, you know, turkeys and ducks and all sorts of livestock. And we were a very wealthy community because in my culture, in my, at that time, a poor person had 100 livestock of cattle. That was considered a poor person. My Mm. own father had about 7,000 cattle, Mm. according to him. And he was the clan head of our clan. And at that time we had about 18 clans, but now they've increased. Uh, So, when this government came into power, they employed um, what they called uh, Scotch Earth um policy, a military policy where they they looted, they raped, they killed, they took away the wealth of the region. and um, our community suffered the most because at that time Teso was the food basket of Uganda. Mm. and also at that time when the British had just left, okay when the British were here, Teso, the Teso tribe, was well known for two things. They were good at teaching, and then they were good at administration. They were men of integrity. They were considered people who were faithful, with money, uh, with policy, with law. And uh, so they were the administrators of the country. And so the rest of the country, perhaps saw them as traitors to the British. And so when this government came, and of course the leader of this government is from the southwest region, which borders Rwanda, um, when he came, uh, they employed, as I say, the, the, earth, the, the Scotch Earth policy. So they wiped out all the wealth in the east and in the north. And uh, they did that under the guise uh, and, and accusing the sister tribe of the Teso, which is the Karmojong tribe, which are also pastoralists. Of course, the Karmojong do have raids. They, they they raid other communities or they raid themselves. And so later on, the Karmojong also came to raid the Teso region. But the initial raids, the, the two uh, most drastic and... Uh, you know, bad raids in Teso were done by the government. They took all the wealth, they took all the food, they took all the cattle, and so in just the blink of an eye, a community that was independent, that was food secure, that was wealthy, um, became very poor, impoverished, and had nothing to live on. Uh, They were not We were not used to to digging. And so, it is out of that background of pain and suffering and loss that a rebel, different rebel outfits came up from Tesso sub-region to fight the current government. And they almost succeeded, except that they were not united. Mm. And then, of course, the bishop who baptized me was still bishop then, and uh, he, he, he championed a process of, re, of our regional reconciliation with the government. Mm. So he started going to the bush to meet the rebels, and then slowly and, uh, and, and, and with time, the rebels came out of the bush. Mm.
0: Okay, thank you for that background. Yeah. Uh, let's get back to your story now with that context understood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you were talking about your time in school and how you were still having the heart problem.
1: Yeah. So I was, I was saying that, of course, in that time I was, we were living with some of these rebels. Yeah. And I remember uh, cleaning a gun one or two times. And um, um, so in my senior three, my medical condition got worse. So my father decided to transfer me to another school um, in our town. And that school is called Soroti S.S. and I know you know it. Mm. And um, so I was there for, I was there until my senior four, uh, which is ordinary level certificate. Then I did my, my exams there. And then right after I did my exams, That was in 1996, 97. I went to, I was taken to to Mulago Hospital in Kampala because my condition was getting worse. Mm. And um, at that time, my father, because of being a priest, had uh, uh, a few years ago, like in the past, had uh, hosted teams from the UK, missionary teams and... uh, Mm -hmm. One of those teams happened to be a doctor uh, from the UK. He was called uh, Dr. Frank Guinness. He was a heart uh, specialist and was a trainer in the UK. Mm -hmm. I think in the hospital, uh, hospital called Sussex Hospital, something like that. And so he heard about my condition. My dad had written him a letter, so he came. And so when he did some checks on me, while I was in the national hospital, which did not have the, the institutional capacity to deal with my condition. Mm. Um, he recommended that I be flown to the UK and uh, that he and the church that uh, sponsors him would take care of my travel and my bills and all that. But it so happened one of those days that the vice president of Uganda, who was a lady, uh, came to Soroti, and my mom heard about it. My mom comes from the same tribe. My mom is Bantu, and uh, the vice president then was Bantu. Mm-hmm. So my mom heard that she was in Soroti, and this was uh, this was really shocking when I heard what my mom did. Um, apparently, my mom ran to the Soroti Hotel. At that time was the, you know, the executive hotel for the president and uh, ministers would stay there and ambassadors, you know, that, that kind of class. And so my my mom went there and as the, the vice president was getting into her vehicle around uh, 10 in the morning, she started screaming in her local language and saying, Help my son. You are my sister and God has put you there for a reason. Help my son. And so the guards, um, you know, cocked their guns. They thought she was a threat to the vice president. They arrested her. They put her down. As they were trying to handcuff her, the vice president ordered them to release her and let her come to her. And so she went to the vice president and explained her situation. And at that time, many of the, the people coming from the affluent families, the political class, many of them were dying of heart disease as well. And it so happened that I, one of the close relatives of the vice president had also died of heart disease. So when she heard, that, uh, when she heard from my mom that uh, I was also in the same situation, it made her think of a bigger plan, and that plan was to start a heart hospital in Kampala. And so there was a tug of, 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 uh, of uh, you know, there was pulling of ropes between Dr. Frank Guinness of the UK, my dad on one side, and then my mom, and now the vice president on the other side. Mm. But luckily for, for, for me, by God's design, there was a doctor who was highly trained in the UK, in Australia, in the U.S. Um, and uh, he, he was called, at that time he was working with the UN, I think in um, either Cambodia or West Africa, and he was called back to Uganda specifically uh, for me but looking at a bigger picture as I said to mm-hmm. start a, a hospital so when he came he was ordered to do tests on me meanwhile Dr. Frank Guinness was also waiting he was in in, in Kampala doing other things with the Anglican Church in Kampala but he was also interested in uh, living with me and so the the doctor, uh, the professor, he was called. He's called Professor Gavas uh, uh He's a heart specialist. He came and I uh, did his test. He said, "I can work on this boy." But really, he was not confident, as we came to realize later with my family, because he dragged he dragged the process for about two years. Mm. And uh, we came to realize that he had to go back to do another course, um, specifically targeting my uh, rheumatic heart disease. Um, And so long story short, the government began to assemble a few apparatus, a few tools to to work with uh, designed for specifically my condition, like, you know, the ECG machine, the echo machine and all these kinds of machines to enable them to do open heart surgery. Mm. But these machines at that time were expensive. So they bought used secondhand machines. And um, I obviously by this time had started getting into the national news as a, a lab rat, uh, for, for political reasons, that a heart, uh, you know, a, a cardiac hospital was being started, and I, you know, I was going to be the first major, you know, surgery to be done at the, at the facility. And uh, of course, long story short, again, that happened. Now I went into. I went into surgery, I'm told, around 8 a.m. in the morning. And um, while I was cut open, one of the machines stopped working. Mm. One of the machines that supports the heart function okay. stopped working. There was only another one in a private hospital, in Zambia Hospital. And uh, they had to go through traffic to go and get that one, Mm. took them about 30, 40 minutes. Meanwhile, I was hanging on my body, my chest was open and I was simply surviving by God's design and God's grace. Mm. Now in, I came out of the, the theater apparently around 10 PM or thereafter in the evening. And I woke up the next day around the same time. That's when I first started waking up. But in that hospital, there was a cleaner, a woman who was a cleaner, but she was born again. And so she used to come to pray with me on my bedside before the the surgery. And she kept telling me, assuring me, you're going to... God is going to heal you. God is going to be with you. God is going to touch you. You are going to be a testimony uh, to this nation. God is going to use you to bless many others. And I didn't know what that meant at that time. But my mother was... My mother had gotten into witchcraft Hmm. because of my condition. She had, uh, again... Coming from a, yeah, my mother, comes from Roman Catholic background, okay. and so she she went back to her old ways, and uh, she went deep into witchcraft at that time, and uh, to the extent that she was she was uh, she was easily and frequently demon possessed by whatever spirits came from their region, and um, and so at that time she. She was practicing witchcraft in the hospital. She had charms on her waist, mm. she had charms on her chest, and um, on, her, on her feet, and in her pockets. If she had pockets on a dress that she was putting on on any day, she would put charms there and she would be chanting around the, 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 the ward. And uh, one of those days, this uh, cleaner, After the surgery came to her, okay, before the surgery, came to her and said, you need, God is calling you to be born again. You need to throw away whatever practices you're doing. And uh, I think the old woman went to her twice, the cleaner went to her twice. But then after that, uh, the old woman came to me and said, you and I need to pray for your mother. I will pray and fast for 30 days. But you don't need to fast because you're patient. So uh, we started praying for my mother. And then uh, just towards the surgery, I'm now, now backing up again because that's yeah. a different story. It's okay. Um, my, my mother had a voice, just like you're hearing my voice. She literally had a voice come to her and say, Oliver, what you have on your waist is trash to me. You need to throw it. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. You need to serve me. I am calling you to serve me." Something like that. And She looked around. She didn't see anyone. She thought it was someone pranking her. And Then it happened again the second time. And uh, when it happened the second time, God put the fear of God in her. She picked those charms and went and hid them somewhere. Hoping that she would go back to them, mm. and then the third time happened when I was now going to the surgery, into the into the theater, is when the third time happened. And then she she went to the in in the process of panicking and as a mother thinking about whether I would survive or not. I'm in the ward. She ran to the to the to the cleaner this old woman who was a cleaner and born again and said i have heard this voice twice and i'm hearing it right now in my head am i going crazy and the old woman said, no that's god speaking to you Mm. god has spoken to me to come to you and to pray with you and so my mother uh, that day got born again the day of my surgery Mm. is the day my mother got born again and um, and why do I say this? You know, Scripture is so unique because when God says that, when Paul says all things work together for good, yeah. God has a bigger picture. And, and yet we, we, we tend to look at one thing. I was looking at my health. I was looking at I'm, I'm too young to die, mm. you know. Uh, but of course, when I went into surgery, God gave me a peace mm. to be at peace with whether I live or I die and I was at peace with that but God used that that experience to bring my mother um, to salvation and at that time what reminded me what what pushed me to pray was remember when Paul and Silas were in jail and you know at midnight they started singing and and, and God sends an earthquake and breaks the chains loose. Yeah. And then the, the, the God says, you know, the God wants to kill himself. And, and Paul says, no, you cannot do that. We are all here. None of us has escaped. And the God, um, we don't know the full story. But of course, the God says, what can I do to be like you guys? What can I do you to know. get to be born, to be saved? Uh, and and Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you And your entire family will be born again. And so I started basing on that. I I hung on to that Mm -hmm. as though it was a promise. I said, God, if you can save that man with his whole family in that situation, you can do it for me in my family. Okay. So that's how um, today as I speak... uh, my entire, almost my entire family is born again, except for my brother, my only brother and my follower, who is a strong Anglican, you know, um, traditional Anglican person. Okay. But the rest have, have, you know, turned their lives to Jesus Christ. And, and for me, that, 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 was, that was my desire. But then, as I said earlier on, God then used my situation to cause the government of this country to create a now very vibrant uh, department in Mulago Hospital, uh, an independent unit called Uganda Heart Institute. And that institute is currently run by one of the two doctors that operated on me. Okay. So God had a big picture, mm. saving my family, saving my mom from witchcraft, but also bringing, you know, medical healing mm-hmm. through medicine, through the knowledge, you know, of medicine that God has given the world mm-hmm. to this country. And I consider, I, I, I rejoice in my suffering now. I rejoice mm. in my, my sickness that I was, I was, I was sick. And God used that to to bring a lot of healing, a lot of purpose, a lot of meaning to not just my life or or the family of of my family, but also to many other families Mm -hmm. uh, that have gone through the Uganda Heart Institute.
0: So I think it must have gone well since you're here talking to me. The surgery went okay?
1: (laughs) The surgery went okay. Um, The surgery went okay until maybe in 2018. Uh, when i believe it's it was just the work of the enemy it was fear mm-hmm. because that's the time when i was having um, um, i was having issues with the uh, relationship that i was in uh in uh, tw- rather 2017, 2016, 2017 2018, my life i turned my life around back to the lord by then of course in 2013 i had gone to Uh, Bible College. Okay. Uh, And I had graduated in 2017, in February of 2017, from Uganda Christian University.
0: So that is uh,
1: Anglican? That is Anglican. I did my MD there. Um, And that's also a different story. I don't know if we will have time for that another day. But um, so I, in 2018, to come back to your question, about my heart condition, I started having, um, m- uh, like, my heart was not rhythmic and, mm. sequ- uh, you know, systematically. Yeah. Like, it would. I felt like my heart would stop for a three or four seconds. Then again, it would start beating. And that kept happening. Even in my sleep, I would wake up screaming like, I don't want to die. You know, like the devil just put a spirit of fear in me. And that fear went on for um, close to a year. I was just tormented by that fear. But um, one day, this scripture came to me. That the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, I have not given you that spirit, that spirit of fear that you have. I've given you a sound mind. Mm. I give, I've given you wisdom. I've given you um something better than that, you know? So I started praying against that spirit. But I also wanted to make sure physically that I'm okay. So I went back to this hospital, mm. Uganda Heart Institute. Now it is a big hospital. It's not this small hall of a, a small unit. It's now a big hospital, a unit, a big department, like almost an hospital, a hospital of its own. Yeah. And um, there are so many new faces, many new doctors. And so I, I go through the same tests now with modern machines. And I do the ECG, the ECHO, the what, whatnot. Excuse me. And I, the doctor tells me my verdict. He says you have only about eight months to live. Oh. Your heart is not in a good place. Um, this is going to be a major surgery. And then I said, "So what? What do I do from here?" He said, "Go to the accounts department, and they they will give you a bill." And so I went to the accounts department, and then they gave me a bill of four point eight million, which is about what in dollars?
0: It's uh, about uh, around a thousand dollars, a little bit more.
1: Uh, Yeah, about one thousand three hundred dollars. And in my head. The question now came, uh, you know, the doctor said this is a major surgery. But the price is so small for a major surgery. It should be at least 32 million Uganda Mm. shillings. Plus for a major surgery. But 4.8 million, that's not a major surgery. Mm. So I went to my, uh, he was also my boss then. But he's also my best man at our wedding. Uh, I I spoke to him and I told him this is the situation. Apparently, I have eight months to live, um, and uh, I need this money. I don't have this money, and I and he, and he he said no. Let's. I have a friend who has just come out from an open heart surgery. I don't know where he did it from. Let's consult him. So we went to Entebbe with him. And we consulted this gentleman. He happened to be from my hometown. And I knew his, my, my, my family uh, knew their family. And uh, we talked a bit and he's like, no, don't go to, don't do it in Uganda. The Heart Institute that you knew is no longer, you know, the Heart Institute, unfortunately, that, that is there today. It's, it's now about money. It's, it's really not about the quality of work. And you might find that you might just have a very small issue with your heart that probably just needs tablets or some injections, and they are, you know, putting you on on the table to cut you open again, and that can endanger your life. You might not make it. So he said he did his open heart surgery in India, and so that now brought another dilemma for me. I had I had a, I have a passport. I had a passport then. Uh, thanks to the previous works I had done uh, with an organization called Christian Aid UK, I was working for uh, orphans and vulnerable okay. children. Mm-hmm. So I had that access to uh, to to a passport. I had a passport, but I didn't have the money for an air ticket. So I started praying uh, in twenty. Um, in 2018. And um, my prayers continued for up to about uh, February 2019. I got a call from, I was in Kampala then working, I got a call from, that was now about four months. Remember, I have eight months to leave. Yeah, yeah. So these are about four months uh, from seeing the doctor. And uh, the I got a phone call from a friend uh, whom you know Rudy mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, who is a pastor in in Soroti as well married to an American and he he told me there were three of them him um, his wife and Karen who is now my my wife <laughs> and um, another in an Indian friend of theirs who is now my very good Indian friend uh, uh, owner of a supermarket chain in in my t- hometown, in Soroti, and uh, I got a call from them. From for it was a loud sk- uh, speaker. and they said, uh, "Moses, do you have a passport?" That was the question I was asked. I said, "Yes." I said, "What's the problem? What's the matter?" Said, "Would you like to go to India with us?" Mm. And I was shocked because I didn't have money for an air ticket to India. So I said, yes, but I don't really have the money for that. They said, you don't have to worry about any money. We will cover the air ticket. The Indian guy said he would cover the air ticket or something like that. I just hung up the phone and I started crying and I said, Lord, thank you. Mm. You've opened the door for me to go to India. And Lord, I, 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 now I need money for whatever medical things I might do in India, and I still yet don't have much money. At that time, I think I had only maybe five hundred thousand in my account, mm-hmm. uh, which is like um, what a hundred mm. and fifty uh, dollars. And and uh, so we. Long story short, for lack of time. Um, my air ticket was processed 3 days later i got an email with my air ticket and a visa and 2 weeks later i was on a plane mm-hmm. to india we went specifically to to this indian's indian friend's place because his his uh, one of the daughter's uh, his brother's daughter was getting married mm-hmm. and of course in Indi- in in part of gujarat in india If you and I are brothers and um, you have children and I have children, we would switch one of the children. So you take maybe the firstborn, my firstborn, and I'll take your firstborn to raise as my own child. So Situ had raised this daughter of his brother, and so he was considered like the father of the child. Mm -hmm. So he had to go there to celebrate. He was being honored as the father of this girl. And so he was excited to to take some of his friends from Soroti for that. So we went particularly for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, the cultural marriages in India can take up to about two weeks. Yeah. Uh, So we were there for um, three weeks plus a few days. And uh, so after the marriage, after the marriage event, I... Popped a question to my friend Situ now, my host. I told him, because I I didn't know Karen, you know, I, I had known her but not that well, but I knew her. She was my friend, but I couldn't ask for that. Uh, so I, I asked Situ, I said, I have this issue. Do you think I can see a doctor? And I just have only this amount of money in my pocket. I have a hundred and something dollars. Can I, Can I see... And so Situ was almost to tears. He said, "My brother's wife just came out of this surgery last year, open heart surgery, and the doctor this week is around. Mm. You know, so my brother will take you tomorrow to see the doctor." So I went the next day with Situ's brother to see the doctor. Again, they do, did the same. You know, I explained my situation. I gave him the Ugandan uh, diagnosis. Uh, the documents, and yeah. he read through them, and then he did his, his investigation, and then released us for a few hours, and we went back around, we were there around 11, we went back around 4, 5, when we were called to go back, and uh, we, we got there, and he just sat, sat me down, and in, 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 in that Indian accent, he doesn't know much English, he just said, Mojesh, for Moses. You are very okay. Nothing wrong. Mm. Very okay. Only little cholesterol. Mm. Nothing wrong. And we were in a state where you cannot mention the name Jesus. You cannot scream. You know, you cannot say hallelujah. And so I I shouted to the top of my voice that the nurses ran in. And I was just glorifying God on my knees and weeping and, mm. and you know with such joy. And I said, wow, God has healed me yet again because mm. I've been praying for healing. God has actually healed me. I have two medical forms, one saying I have eight months and the other one saying I have nothing wrong with me.
0: Mm.
1: Again, that was a testimony for me. Yeah. yeah. And um, so while there... I had no thoughts, completely, Anthony, I had no <laughs> thoughts of proposing to anyone. Mm. I just went there. My main reason for going there was medical reasons. Yeah, yeah. I just went along because these guys were going for, and I, because I, I had only now two more months and then I would be, you know, gone out of this. Uh, so in that moment, I started hearing God speak to me about this woman, Karen, mm. and proposing to her. But I had, again, another fear. I have I have never really asked a girl, so I didn't know how to ask her. Yeah. So I went on Google and I went to <laughs> YouTube and I said, how do you propose to a girl, uh. to a white girl or something like that? But we went, uh, uh, we went to the south of India, at that time, for a rest. Away from the, you know, from the marriage and all this pomp, we went to a place called Diu. Uh, it was a, it was a fort that was, I think, a, a Portuguese fort. Mm. It was built as a, a base, a military base, where you could launch cannons, and there were mm. cannons around that. Um, um, around around the sea and camp uh escarpment is it? Where they had built their their yeah. their base and armory and stuff like that. And there were a lot of tourists who were there in that moment when we were visiting, when we were, you know, touring the place. And I kept feeling my heart being pushed and I knew that it was the Holy Spirit really like my heart was getting I don't know for lack of a better word, like it was being hardened or uh, pushed or whatever you can call it, but like an unction to propose to this lady. And meanwhile, I had placed a lot of fleeces before, which I'm not going to talk about now. (laughs) Fleeces, Lord, if this is the one you really want me to be with, because I don't want to make another mistake. Yeah, Yeah. You know. After what you went through. After what I went through. I don't want to make another mistake. I'm not in a rush. And uh, so I I made a fleece. This was my last fleece. There were over 70 people who were not guided by a tour guide. They were mostly families and uh, different youth and what. And we were in one part of a pier. And I made a fleece. I said, Lord, if this really is you pushing my heart to propose and you aren't asked to get married you want me to propose to this lady show me the final sign the real one that i will know that you are the one i know her she's a good friend i know her character i know her you know she loves the lord she's you know a strong believer i've been to her house a few times She's part of the band that had started, the music band in Soroti. And I knew her mm. at that level. And uh, so I, I told God, do that. And so the Lord did something amazing to me. He honored the fleece. After saying that, I raised my, my head up to look to the back where there were many people. And honestly, Anthony, it was as if you know how a shepherd follows the sheep from behind. Okay. That's how pe- those, those guys left. Like they were mm. one group, and they were, they just left. Mm. They left me, and Karen, and um, Rudy's wife, Becky. And Becky said, t- told me, whispered to me. I said, "This is the right time to propose." If you're proposing, because she knew they had been praying about it themselves. Okay. I didn't know they were praying about it until we were in India. Mm. Until I told them that I feel this and they said, yeah, we've been praying about that. And so I, <laughs> I went to Karen I said, Karen, can you come to me? And then the words, my head just, there was no word in my, I went blank. I didn't know what to say to the lady. And then all of a sudden I told her a few words and I said, will you marry me? And I had no ring, I had no ring. I had uh, a a tag, you know, the, the the string that holds a tag on a trouser, mm. to, to uh, the, the the branding tag. That's what I had. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is all I have right now. I had both rings, but this is all I have. I forgot them in the what <laughs> in the hotel, <laughs> and that's how bad it was. Cause that was not in my mind mm. at all. I proposed to her and she started crying and Becky started crying and she said yes. That was another miracle. And
0: now you're here. And now I'm here. <laughs> with her.
1: I'm here with her married.
0: Yes. Many miracles.
1: Many miracles throughout, your life. throughout my life. And the main theme really is that God God uses whether it is our pain Mm -hmm. or joy, our experiences, whether they are so ugly as divorce or ugly as falling into sexual sin or painful like sickness. God uses anything and everything for His own purpose according to the counsel of His will. And He does that so that we might be drawn to Him, we might come to Him. In awe and, and looking back now, I see how my steps were ordered by the Lord, yeah. even when I was unfaithful, even when I walked in sin, you know god 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 God, God did that, even when I went prodigal, God was waiting to love me mm. and to use me, and like I said, I got ordained in October last year. Mm-hmm. And that's something I would written off. Because in the Anglican church, when you, you know get divorced, then you're done. Yeah. And I, I had practically written that off. I said, Lord, if it's your will, you call me. Not, not I have said yes and, and the door is closed. Mm. Now if it's your will, you, you, you call me. And, and that also happened like a miracle. Because at that time, I was doing a short course in Gulu. I was doing a mechanical course. I just wanted to have some mechanics knowledge Mm -hmm. about how the car operates and simple things that I can deal with. Mm -hmm. And so I was under a vehicle being trained in the garage in the school. And then a call comes from Pastor Jimmy of University Community Church, where I pastor with, I mean the, the pastor I pastor with now. And he says, could you come to the gate? I need to talk to you. There is a very urgent matter. And I go to the gate. Mm-hmm. And we were preparing to, to go to Kampala for a workshop with him. And he says, we have prayed for eight years since the church started for another elder. And from the day you guys came to our church, the Spirit of God has been telling us that it's you, it's Mm -hmm. you, it's you. But we were taking our time because we wanted to, you know, to confirm that it's you. But last night the Spirit of God spoke to us so strongly that you should join us into ministry. Mm -hmm. I was full of grease in my hands. I was in an (laughs) (laughs) oven and and that's how I got called into Mm -hmm. ministry. It was such a humbling experience for but me. I
0: think, uh, from what I know of you, you were already engaged in ministry of many kinds yes. before that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that was how you were called to uh, ordained ministry, ordained as, ministry. A, as, as a pastor. But yes. I just think it's good for the listeners to know you were yes. <laughs> doing ministry for many years yes. in, in many been, different ways. Yes,
1: I've
0: been. Yes. I think we're about out of time. Yes. But I want to affirm that it's beautiful to see how God has been at work in your life. Yeah, and I love what you said about God working through all things mm-hmm. uh, for His purposes, for our good, and for His glory. And uh, we've seen that in your life. Uh, is there any anything you want to add that we somehow may have missed as you're sharing your story? Any last, any last uh, short comment mm-hmm. about your about how God has worked in your life. I
1: I think I want to end with a scripture. Mm-hmm. A scripture James, I think chapter one verse two. It's not a scripture that is easy to read. Mm-hmm. You know, when James says consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you go through trials and sufferings of the kind. Because there is a reason for that. Mm -hmm. And maybe you are listening to this podcast and you are going through, I don't know how you would consider it pure joy. But if my testimony of God's grace and faithfulness can encourage you today, know that you are not alone. That God is with you Mm -hmm. and he, He knows you. You know, He is in your corner. He is for you. He's not against you. He will, he will show you one day, whether in this life or in the life to come, mm. the reason why you are going through. Mm-hmm. But as you go through, be faithful. Mm. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Mm. Lean on Him. Do not depart from the Lord. Let the Lord be your anchor. Let God be your, your, your foundation, your firm foundation. Let Him be your vision. Let Him be everything. Give Him everything that you can give. Give Him every last breath. Give Him every last punch, every last, you know. We were climbing the, the rock today and I, I almost gave up at some point. But I asked myself, why would I give up midway when the top is just here? Mm. Let me go and finish it. Mm. And I did finish it. And that speaks again to me. And I hope it speaks to you. Finish the course. Run the race. It is hard. Our call is not a call of comfort. Most of the time it's a call of you know, pain and struggle, but it's an honourable call. It's a call to holiness and righteousness. It's a call to be like Jesus. Mm. And we can never be like Jesus without going through what Jesus himself went through. Even though he did that for us, mm-hmm. we too, as disciples, in one way or the other, should be ready when he calls mm-hmm. to follow suit.
0: Amen to that. Amen. That's a great way to close. I'm we'll stop there. Uh, friends who are listening, please uh, pray for Moses and his ministry at the church. And we thank you for hearing his story, Moses. Thank you for sharing all of those things, a lot of personal things, but it, it's good for us and will help us to grow in our faith.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me here, Anthony. Thank you. God bless.